the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, powered by Bond University's Building Information Modeling Program. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Dominic Martins from John Holland about BIM uses in construction. We'll talk about the benefits of implementing BIM processes for contractors and the flow on effects for asset owners. But before I start my interview with Dom, I need to talk to you about our exclusive sponsor. Bond University are leading the way in BIM education in Australia through their Master of Building Information Modelling and Integrated Project Delivery course. They also have micro-credential offerings. Now these courses were the first and remain the only university courses to be formally accredited by Building Smart Australasia. And they were also recognised internationally with a special mention for leadership in the Open BIM in Education in the professional research category in the 2020 Building Smart International Awards. To learn more, head over to the Bond University website via the link in the show notes to learn about their educational offerings. So let's get on to the conversation with Dom. So thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today, mate. No, no problem, mate. It's uh, probably been a long time coming for us. (laughs) It has indeed. But, mate, for those that are not aware of who you are, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself in terms of the journey that you've had? Yeah, uh, so a bit about myself. I'm Dominic Martins. Um, I'm currently the Digital Engineering Manager at John Holland. Um, previous to this, I worked at a, as a BIM manager for Silver Time Assembly or the Technology Design Technology Leader, I think it was. Um, titles, basically the, the head BIM manager at SDH, and that was a health firm. But if I go back all the way to the start, basically – Went and worked for, for Carolcad and doing content creation with Mr. Mass Shields. And he's, I think he's still there to this day. So that, yep. that's, that's, that's <laughs> credit to him. Um, and so, yeah, he, it, we went and created manufacturer content, went and taught Revit, went and taught content creation, went and did that and had that whole feel. So I, I knew the Autodesk platform and the Autodesk realm quite well at that point. Uh, from there, met Ben from IGS, Ben Fox, if, <laughs> if anyone knows that. So he was, doing content creation for CarolCAD and back of the day and then, um, yeah, for design content. And then he started winning work on his own. He met Luke. Ben created IGS and then Luke came along and joined Ben. And yeah, there there was that whole dynamic. So I've known those guys for a very long time. I've been good friends with both of them for a very, very long time. From CarolCAD, I met the guys at Hassel. And basically at Hassel, um, we had Toby, Maple, Steve uh, Steve Fiorio. We had some really key players in the market at the stage that I didn't really know, but also learned a hell of a lot off those guys and just how they went about their work ethic, but also their knowledge, how to play the, the big architectural game as well. Worked at Hassel for four years in Sydney, then moved down to Melbourne, the design technology team, went from content creator to technology to trainer to a bit of everything. From there, yeah, um, went and worked at John Wardle for a little bit, then went and worked at IGS for couple of years, four, three, four years, I think. And then um, from there, 
they transitioned to Unify. We helped sell Unify, the platform, and then um, we were doing uh, content on demand for some of the large architectural firms over there, but also for manufacturers' content. And then, yeah, went to work at STH. And then um, from there, um, yeah, basically worked at STH as the digital technology leader um, and basically controlled a lot of the the outcomes and, and vice versa through it all from from STH side of things. So they were a health planner and then, um, yeah, got approached by John Holland to, to join John Holland and in their building division, not the tech division, but I can explain all the different <laughs> sides of John Holland. There's, there's many different sub departments of John Holland and it's, it's a large company. There's a lot of people, um, there's a lot of moving plants, but, um, it's very interesting and very exciting to, as I say, work on the dark side, work in construction and, and enjoy life as a such. So Dom, people know quite a bit about John Holland. It's a it's a big name in the construction industry. I guess that the key thing would be is, you know, instead of explaining what John Holland is, you can talk about some of the projects that you work on. We're just finishing off Marvel. We did Sydney Football Stadium um, from a building perspective, um, doing uh, the joint ventures with the railway, uh, with um, the tunnels in Melbourne, also the, the road infrastructure upgrades. Uh, yeah, there's there's thousands of projects I could probably mention that John Holland have had some hand in or we're working with in the terms of teams as, as a such. What are the key reasons behind the implementation of BIM processes at John Holland? Uh, yeah. Um, like there's probably countless, but but, oh, but in yeah, terms it's, of like it's, it's kind of how long's a piece of string, right? So when you go back and you look at the NatSpec BIM, National BIM Guide, they're, they're probably, I think, upwards of around a dozen BIM processes or uses that they have stipulated themselves. And then you look at other you look at other use guides and you know, you look at Bilal Sakar's stuff and he has like a hundred uses of BIM. Mm. So it, it's how long's a piece of string. But I guess what are the ones that you see on a daily basis and the projects that you're working on that mm. make that uh, the ones that are kind of almost like a no-brainer. So as soon as a, a tender comes in, what's what's kind of some of the things where the digital processes start to take over compared to more traditional ways of, of putting things together in a tender phase? Yeah, so even in a tender phase, we're very early to digitize. Um, we're very early to you know, model that in 3D, whether that be Navisworks, Revit, um, Graphisoft, yeah, sorry, Archicad, any of those platforms, we we do not even SketchUp if they want to model it, they've got a model in SketchUp. But a, uh, nine times out of ten, there's there's two platforms. It's Revit, Archicad, and they're even at a tender stage. We're getting access to those models and getting access to those elements, and then from there, we're we're costing, we're we're doing. Um, model quantity takeoffs, we're doing schedules, we're doing all that information from a 3D model rather than a 2D plan or a 2D schedule. We're still referencing that plan to make sure that's accurate, but they just that that is a normal process at John Holland. There's no I don't think about that. I don't think say that that's innovative or I just think that that should be how any construction company goes about building is taking a 3D model, grabbing that information, whether that's massing concrete quantity, um, walls, what the wall makeup is, how it's done as of such, how much timber, how much plaster, how much vinyl, whatever whatever it may be. Whatever the quantity is, we're, we're getting that quantity takeoff from a 3D element and it, it's providing us a, a very accurate um, representation and also giving us a, a way better result as of such. But from that, yeah, I mean, collaboration, I think, is probably the, the key one that I see day to day. 
people getting access to the models and not just a design consultant. I'm, I'm talking sub consultants, subbies as we call them. They're modeling in 3D. They're, they're building off those models. They're taking those models out into fabrication, into shop drawings. And they're, they're pushing that. And a lot of those um, models are, are done in Revit again as well. And the thing that the thing that blows my mind and still to this day, I don't get why, but I, I understand the risk profile behind it. But We'll have design consultants design the building. Engineers go, oh, yeah, this pipe's great through here. We'll rise it up here. We'll put this duct here. We'll put this diverter. Da, da, da. Like, yeah, I mean, it goes on. And they'll clash. They'll coordinate. Sign off for the drawing. Subbies come on board. They take the architectural model. And then it's free game again to, to re-coordinate all those processes. They'll use the the engineering model as a such or the, the design consultant model as a, as a reference and a guide. But... They have skin in the game. They have they have money associated to this. If they can create that duct cheaper, they can see a better way of laying it out, a better way of designing it. Um, that's going to save everyone money. Everyone is for that. Everyone can, you know, I mean, especially time. If we can get a duct run that's straight versus having ten ups and downs to go over pipes, and we move those pipes and those pipes, uh, you know, what I mean, fire pipes or whatever they may be, it saves everyone enormous amount of time and cost. And so like a lot of those key deliverables that aren't in the architectural world or the engineering world as a in design consultant world as a such, or in the subbies world and working with the subbies, especially um, within within Australia and some of our big projects that we're working on, there's a lot of um, yeah, they'll they'll start again. They'll they'll take that model and 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 it just yeah, everyone's like, Oh, we can collaborate, we can do this, we can do that. And it's it's their risk profile that they don't wanna assume the engineers have got it right first time because nine times out of 10, they, they've they got it to work, but is it the best solution for that project? And the answer is no. Architects come in nine times out of 10 and they they stipulate things. It's like, guys, this doesn't work. Like we're on site. We've got the duct. We've got the pipe. You're saying that this can go here and we're saying it can't. doesn't matter what's in the 3D model. doesn't matter what's anyone saying. If it doesn't physically work on the physical site. And um, I'm, I'm having that realization with Brownfield sites at the moment, or I mean, existing sites, sorry. And we we have point cloud scans. We have all this data, but it gets into a lot of murky waters is probably the best way to describe it in terms of, yeah, it's there. Yes, we know where it roughly is. We know where all the existing services and vice versa are. But what is that existing service? It's just a wire. Is it data? Is it power? Is it security? Is it... <laughs> All these different things that a wire could be and it's shielded and it's covered in dust. No one knows. So you, you go and test it and find the run and then someone cuts it. Oh, that was the gaming cable for for, for a stadium. Oh, crap. Well, that that's um, that's important for the for the stadium. And then you have to go and repair a fiber optic cable, which isn't the, the cheapest and funnest thing to go do. But yeah, we, we found it with fire uh, pipes. We found it with everything. So yeah, brownfield sites and stuff like that. But digressing from that, like that's all standard BIM stuff in coordination in modeling sharing information one of the things you talked about obviously is the the challenges where subcontractors are taking that work that has been done already and starting from scratch mm-hmm. now that's essentially wastage right so the question being is the client paying not enough fees for the design consultants to actually understand this because one of the things that see i come my father's a plumber Right, so mm-hmm. I come from a background of actually understanding the order in which things go together. Yep. So when I design things, you and, and coordinate things. I've I've always struggled with this whole title of BIM coordinator because of the fact that 
it's what I my role was as an architect. That's that's just mm-hmm. what I do. And you coordinate mm-hmm. a project, whether it be in two D or whether it's in three D. It's it's, it's it's your role is to coordinate. Your 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 role is to help the builder build it in the most efficient and to your design intent that you choose to as being the architect on that project. Um, well, you got to make now, you got to make it work right because the thing correct. is is that if you and make can't, it look nice and well, yeah, if it can't work, then you end up with variations, right? And no client likes variations because you haven't made it work. <laughs> no, client, no client has ever said, oh, variations are a great word. Let's add 10 of them for no reason whatsoever. There will always be a heated argument or a very robust discussion about why that variation is and why that uh, that cost is, is incurred. And I've never been any of the client meetings and from – all my history, I've never had a variation just being accepted and being like, yep, that, that's understandable. Even working with manufacturers, there's always, you've got to explain it. You've got to explain it three or four times to explain it. So having the architect take that on. But then again, I've, I've got a relevant scenario where I have an existing model. I have an existing drawing. Who's responsible for that existing drawing? Is that the architect? Is that the engineer? Is that the subconsultant? Who draws what in what order? And I had the architect tell me the other day that they they are not responsible for drawing. Oh, so, sorry, they they are not responsible for modelling existing items, but are, are responsible for the existing model. And I was like, "Can you please explain that in more context or more language for me? Because that doesn't make sense. Like, you're responsible for the existing model, but you're not modelling it. Oh yeah, the surveyors are doing that. And I'm like, "Hang on a second. They're just doing a point cloud. They just do points and make sure that it's accurate and correct, and vice versa." If you didn't have a point cloud scan, you would still have to go out there and measure it yourself. Like someone's got the duty of care to measure that existing element. Who is it? And they're like, oh, that's us. And I'm like, but you're not modeling. No, no, we're not modeling, but we're responsible. So that would be yeah. the surveyors under, under them as a sub consultant to deliver that outcome. But, but the subbies are under are under John Holland as a construction company, so it's kind well, of well depends upon the project, right? <laughs> and, and there's obviously lot we could be locked into contractual discussions all day. But mm. um, the thing that I guess I'm intrigued by, and and I could have a conversation with you, but then I could pull pull out and have a conversation with uh, say a tier two or tier three builder, um, mm-hmm. and the conversations would be polar opposite, right? One hundred percent. But Let's say top end of town, and mm-hmm. you're talking about business as usual almost now with getting models that you can work from in terms of a, mm-hmm. a newer form of information. Is this BIM or uh, information requirements? Because, you know, from my perspective, I kind of have moved on from models as being the only piece of information that's important. Yep, um, especially I can I can contest that with hospitals. <laughs> You've got a whole database of information that you need to incorporate it into that that model that lives elsewhere. And I'm a very big driver of separating that information from that model because you're only tying down that model to that information. And it just is, is absolutely ludicrous that you would do something like that when you've got database management software programs, i.e. like Drophus, um, out there in the market that can do that very easy for you and link to the model and be that information piece with inside a bit. But that, that being said, uh, that information at the top end of town is readily available. Um, there's not a project. And I think that's due to the size that the top end bid for. The, the top end bid for are bidding for 
okay, let, let's talk about the Olympics that are coming up in, in what is it, 2032? There's already digital models that I know of, of Brisbane, of the area, of uh, architects bidding for the project. They're already modeling and, and having ideas about how they best do any of that infrastructure, whether it's the, the GABA redevelopment that, you know, in, that people are talking about, whether it's the, the aquatic centre in town. I already know from multiple sources, multiple different people, there's already models being created. So, yeah, in the top end of town, information in terms of whether it's a database, the management, even looking at some of the big hospitals that are, that are going on, there is a full database from the health department available there. And, you know, you look at New South Wales, big, big componentry and big driver of, of, of Drophus and that database and that, that database for every project roughly is there ready to go. And I just think that it's such a, a nicer way of going about it in terms of where we sit and where the future is going, especially if you start looking at AI, start looking at, you know, I mean, automation, start looking at checking, you know, I mean, chat GP, all, all these things that can play into it in terms of image generation, that, that stuff's there ready to go effectively. Now, are you finding that these information requirements are being driven by the asset owners uh, on these projects or is it still early days and it's still kind of, uh, it's not lonely, Bim, because people are, are participating in it, but is it something whereby the designers have made that choice um, on their own and then providing that information to make construction easier or is it being, you know, driven by the asset owners? answer to that is multitudes, unfortunately. There are cases where the asset owners don't care what asset information they get. They just want to know when they're getting it, how they're getting it, and it's being tracked. Uh, and then you have asset owners, i.e. VDAS, or, sorry, the Victorian Digital Asset Strategy, where they it's a requirement. It's mandated. It's in a project over this size, you know, if we're working on a hospital, if we're working on a Marvel Steam, for example, there are these minimum requirements that the client is expected to have. And so we have to take them on that journey. I was working with a health department. So you've got the health department, but you also got regional health areas that control their hospitals. And so I was working with one of those about the asset requirements, what they need, how they need it, how they deliver it. They don't even know they need this asset information, but I've got a set of standards with 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 VDAS to run them through this and say, hey, look, these are the minimum viable elements and items and, and fields you need in each element to get what you need out of it. And then the architect's saying, we don't need to do that. It's just like, but hang on a second. This is what we've signed up to. This is the contract. You always go back to that contract of what we signed. This is a clause. This is a government. This is the project size. Here's where it falls. Sorry, this is the minimum that the Victorian government want us to follow. This is what we're doing. No non-negotiate, go forth and conquer. And so we, we get a lot of pushback from that from certain groups. But I've found that nine times out of 10, the sub consultants and the sub, the people who actually have skin in the game are all for it. They want all that information. They're happy to provide all that information. Before we talked a little bit about, obviously, the challenges in construction and the significant risk and safety that is involved um, in constructing buildings, uh, I know now in Australia, architects actually have a responsibility under the Workplace Health and Safety Act to perform a safety assessment on the design, uh, construction and maintenance Mm-hmm. Of built assets, uh, which we won't go into a debate about that today, <laughs> um, because your your your, your, your your views will be possibly different to uh, to mine. But in terms of the the way in which they're being implemented and how it's being handled, 
It was an intro. I've, I've been involved actually before with um, Dr. Carol Hon from QT up here in, mm-hmm. in Queensland, yeah. and she was doing a uh, some research into safety and construction, mm-hmm. and whether or not BIM was actually making any inroads or or helping with um, job site safety at all. Uh, obviously. Mm-hmm putting in place programming and scheduling and costing is uh, in place for saving time and money. From your perspective, have you seen any other improvements like from a safety perspective from that ability to communicate? Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably one of the, the key drivers in John Holland is safety. We're very risk adverse is the way I put it. And if we can show them a model in, at any state, at any construction state, sorry, is probably the best way to describe it, of this is what it's going to be like. This is, I mean, here's no wall. Here's, I mean, here's just an edge. All right, well, what's that edge protection doing? Do you have a railing? Do you have scaffolding? Do you have no-go zones? Do you have harnesses? Do you have to, like, what is the minimum safety requirement you need for that that condition? Um, for us and John Holland, a lot of that's done digitally. Like yep. I, again, I was talking about how do we install screens at Marvel, and so we grabbed the 3D model, we grabbed a crane model, we ran through ten or twelve different scenarios about how to hang that with crane operator, with the riggers, with the high ropes technicians that were were forward allers of such. So they they were a big component in it as well. And also, we do a lot of sidewalks by drones, which I don't think gets spoken about like so we had some very large uh, prison project in victoria i won't mention which one very large site to walk from one end of the site it would take you almost half an hour and that's at a brisk walk and we had different site sheds and so for our uh, management team and our site team to do a safety walk every day would be a day it wouldn't be an hour here an hour there to walk the site it was several days so the only way we could do that in timely safe fashion was doing it by a drone and flying a drone around, doing a capture and then looking over that footage for, for 20 minutes and then resolving all that and then giving it to each project engineer who was looking after that that area or that, that building complex was done. And so from a management perspective and spending, spending a day, two days on site, one doing a safety walk, two then talking about all the safety items and critical hit lists that we need to get rid of and fix and, and update was done by a drone. Still the same outcome but much quicker because you could fly through it and do it digitally. And then from there, we could then look at the the BIM model about, okay, well, this is where, I mean, this six is at. And so a lot of our construction sequencing digitalized, we work out how to do it. Where we've, we've done some tenders where we're working across train station, train lines, and how do we put extra bridges in to accommodate workers? How do we do all this other stuff around certain poor times and lift times and we've physically done it with buildings in Queensland and in our lift structure. So but all that's done digitally first rather than oh let's just wing it and see. We're we're very calculated in that that safety sense of all right, how many guys do we need? How how much does this weigh? What's our craneage? Like so our craneage guys are all in digital and beam and in and, and different platforms. And from there we're then all right, where are our people, where are our people going to stand, like fall hazards. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting how we go about all those strategies. But again, it's all done digitally. We we do it in the model. We run through it with the model, and even so, our safety aspects and our safety walks. I'm walking around with a laptop, going with our safety 
a safety guy for the site saying, all right, this condition shouldn't be like this. We're at a point where it should look like blah because we're construction sequencing. We know that this wall isn't built for another two weeks. It's our programming. It's all these systems and and, and items in play. And, and then, you mean, that safety guy is making sure that everyone works together like so how are you finding the market maturity? Now, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Caitlin Shields from Mitchell Brantman about how the quantity surveyors are seeing the shift in the market maturity in terms of the capabilities, in terms of the quality of the information that she's seeing from the quantity surveying side. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, the, what, what are you seeing in terms of the information you're receiving? So the, the positive being, seeing that you've been on the design consultant side of the fence as well, you, you obviously knew where the design consultants were when you were in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, not just the architects but also the engineers. But now in the builder side, you're not only seeing the, you know, the – the upstream, you know, the downstream stuff that you've gotten that's that's landed in your lap, <laughs> but you're also getting uh, information from your sub consultants in terms of subbies, in terms of tradespeople. Uh, what what's your thoughts on it? And now the challenge we have is, and this is some of the things I think about a lot, is that you know we attend events like Built, and mm-hmm. you see, you have your rose, your rose colored glasses on that everything's perfect and. <laughs> Yeah, everyone does all this amazing work, and it's it's it's. You're seeing the top uh, top two. Yeah. You're seeing the top two to three percent of yeah. users and what they're capable of doing in Australia and even internationally. When we have some international guests over here, obviously there's the tier one level of stuff that you're working with is gonna should be the cream of the crop in Australia in terms of what you're getting to what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, are we there yet? <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say we're there yet, but we're close, especially in tier one. Like, uh, let's talk about quantity surveyors or estimators or any of those kind of people. Again, all digital. Like, yeah, I mean, they're in Costex, they're in all these different platforms, and then it's a digital model that they check first, then look against the database, then look against the the, the actual documentation as a such. And so, yeah, it's it's all there. Like, yeah, for for my like, it's not. I'm not having to go to a QS and go, have you seen BIM? Have you seen? Like they're coming to me and go, hey, mate, I need this Revit model or I need this model in this format to do blah, blah, blah. Like they're, especially you know, in tier one, they're already there. They already know the digital realm. They're already geared up, ready to go. And it's just like, all right, how can we, how can we get this information to them cleaner, easier, less work so we can cost it quicker? We can get the, the you know, I mean, the cost of the subbies and vice versa quicker. So, we're there, but are we all the way there and all the way in? No, because I, I can see that there's some areas that are like, oh, just, you know, I mean, they're too old school. I've got a, a very interesting story of a, a subconsultant, a, a concrete um, layer on one of my previous projects that I worked in with Hassel that didn't want anything to do with digital, just wanted pen and paper. And we we're trying to have a paperless site, which was all fun and dandy till a concreter starts throwing iPads into concrete and you can't get that back. And that's kind of destroyed. <laughs> that, <laughs> he, he just wanted his paper. And I get that from that generation of want something to hold. They want that physical touch. They want to be able to measure off. They want to be able to look at it. They don't have to worry about a battery. I totally get that. I had architects that were very much the same, still wanted to draw pen and paper. I get it. It's quick, easy, butter paper, sketch, sketch, sketch. Nah, don't like it. Next, sketch, sketch, sketch. Nah, don't like it. Like, They'd interact so quickly to do that digitally. Quite hard, quite quite difficult. But can you create systems and processes that help? Especially, I mean, some of the old architecture, they would draw. We would scan it. They were very good at drawing and their drawings were 
to scale, were accurate, were their walls were the right size, the right pen weights, because they learned that traditionally in architecture. And so you could scan it in and it would be fairly close. So then for someone to draw off it, draw it all in and add it in, they're like, all right, well, this doesn't quite work for X reason, or we got this problem. Then they go, all right, scan it, draw it, print, iterate, 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 iterate. It's just remarkable to see how quickly they can design on putter paper. Like that, that's remarkable. But creating the digital processes to help digitize that quickly and easily is where we're, we're heading and going to. So it doesn't matter whether you're a 90-year-old architect and you still want to do pen and paper. Great, I'm all for it. But how can I get that into a digital model or a digital outcome that can help everyone? And I think that's where the, the communication piece in especially in BIM is somewhat lacking. We were talking about subconsultants before starting from scratch, every robot model or every model. Like, come on, guys, like take that model, work with it. I mean, use 90% of it, redesign the bits you need to. If there's a shaft design, just take it and use it and go forth. But they're risk averse because they got skin in the game. They don't want to copy something because if it's wrong, they associate that risk. They take that risk on and it's then their, their problem. It's not the engineer's problem. They can't go back to it and say, hey, guys, you did this wrong. You, you missed this whole column. You missed this whole, you know I mean, structure. What's going on? So, yeah, everyone... Everyone has a different realm to it. I'd say John Holm, we're, we're pretty close in terms of digital perspective from start to finish, especially I look at management and management. All right, do we have a model? Do we have, a, do we have, a, do we have a, a drone footage? Do we have any videos? Do we have any um, capture information like 3D photos? Do we have any construction timeline sequencing? And like even from my perspective, from a BIM perspective, especially in terms of risk, cost and finance, Programming. Okay, we were two weeks ahead. Now we're four four weeks behind. How did we lose six weeks in in a month? Like that that's humanly not possible, physically not possible. So, what's going on? Who was where? Where's that information? So, I mean, when we talk about risk, talk about information. A lot of that stuff is still relying on human error and human interaction to um, to have that. And so, yeah, when you can eliminate humans and and just have the raw data we can all make decisions so yeah i don't think we're 100 percent way there you mean maybe 80 percent in the actual real world and non-tier one companies i'd say is probably a good indication but you're still relying on human information and human error so obviously you get to see the top end of town and mm-hmm. and in your time you've been in the architectural practice and now obviously in the construction side with regards to the implementation of VDAS. Mm-hmm. Has VDAS made a difference uh, in terms of the capability and capacity of the delivery teams, you know, in, in Victoria because there's more certainty because, you know, one of the things you talked about was, as being one of the challenges is certainty in terms of mm-hmm. consistency of information deliverables and even to the point where you're saying, you know, one of the local hospitals are going, I don't want that information because <laughs> VDAS has told them that they have to have it. Has it, has it, made, a, has it made a positive difference? Uh, yes and no. The VDAS has definitely helped. Has it made a positive change on the industry? I would say not yet, only because there's still a lot of... That learning uh, phase? It's still that learning uh, phase? I don't know if it's the learning phase or the pushback. It's just added work for everyone and, like, but let's take a hospital, for example. There's no real digital engineer or BIM manager or information guy. There's an asset guy who kind of knows a little bit about it, but 
he he doesn't care. He just wants it to work with his FM system. He doesn't really give two results that this is going to be doing this and this is going to be doing that. Like he just wants it to input into his system and, and work and be happy days. And then maybe that's job's what easier. we should all be doing. That's what our target should be. Maybe, <laughs> but they don't. That's, that's they, they honestly, anyway. yeah, they honestly don't care how you give it to them. Whether that's in Excel, whether that's in some database, whether that's in a Revit model or an Archicad model, like they don't care. They just want the information to work. And nine times out of ten, they don't. They don't care. Like they're so time poor already. But like, there's not enough people in the world to do all this stuff. And but I honestly think that you need a, a you mean a technologist, whether you want to call that a BIM guy or whatever it may be, a technologist in most companies that helps with IE technology, helps with digital transitions, helps with doing a lot of this VDAS stuff. But yeah, I I find that it helps that we've got VDAS in, in Victoria. But yeah, I look at, you know what I mean, other areas and, you know what I mean, I'm originally from Queensland. I spent some time up there recently with my health challenge. There's, you can't go, oh, where's QDAS? Where's Queensland digital asset strategy? Like, it doesn't exist. The government don't want to pay for it. It's kind of like. Well, that's a problem. Egg. That's a problem in itself, right? Correct. You're about to start all this massive building works with the, the Olympics coming up. Multi-billion dollars worth. Oh, no, but the agencies do have their own information requirements, but then I do question their consistency. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the thing that it helps when one consultancy delivers most of them. (laughs) It it, it does help, but um, then again, you That's a problem in in terms of ACCC type stuff, right? But in terms of giving opportunities for more people to participate in the market. But- so it, the positive is is that it's kind of almost like, I guess when I think about it, it's kind of like all standards, right? Standards yeah. aren't perfect, but at least it's pushing people to swim in the right direction, right? Yeah. So, but- And hopefully there's parameters within the VDA strategy that enable reviews and, and updates to that strategy so that the things that are pain, uh, pain points right now can get adjusted back to make it a little mm. bit easier. Because when I look at these things, I actually think the designers have it kind of easy, right? Because even in the old days, <laughs> old days, how funny is that? Uh, it's it's what it's what ninety percent it's what ninety nine percent of the industry is still doing anyway, right? So they produce yep. a set of drawings, they produce a specification, they produce some schedules. And they hand that over to the builder, and then the builder has to build the build the building, and then based upon this very am, ambiguous NAT spec uh, clause in the preliminaries, it says to deliver some maintenance manuals in A4 <laughs> or in PDF format. Right? Mm-hmm. That's still going on. Yep. Uh, how good is it going to be when <laughs> when there's more stipulation as to what that needs to be handed over? So therefore, there is that benefit. And, and and the contract and the contractors then have the the child. It's it's hard enough getting a maintenance manual out of a contractor right now. It takes them twelve months. By the time uh, defects liability is over, oh here's your manuals. Yeah. Um. Now there might be other processes that tier one builders have in play right now, which I'm not aware of. That you guys might have in place, which it's more of a a broad blanket statement, which is kind of not the most appropriate professional thing to do. But you guys are at the challenging end when it comes to delivering the information because the architects 
and their role is essentially to just provide placeholders in models or databases to the new guys in construction and the subcontractors because the sub is then need to deliver all this information rather than just a PDF like they used to. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, you got to deliver 20 properties and it's got to get filled into this Excel database. Yep. How are they finding that part? Like To me, that's the thing that I think is the forgotten piece of this puzzle because the designers are leading it. You said designers aren't paying any attention to safety in terms of how you've got to build this stuff. The designers and the asset owners aren't really thinking about the cost of what they're asking people to do with regards to delivering all of this digital information. Oh, 100%. And I don't think even to this day, like it's it's hard because I see how it's delivered and I'm just like, guys, we've, we've done all this process. We've done all this digital transition. We're in models. We're in databases. We're collaborative. We're, we're working together. We're modifying it. Oh, and then the end deliverable is a PDF. Ah, okay. Well, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Why isn't it a, a digital model? Why isn't a you stipulate some IFC format, some yeah. uh, digital database management that lives on the internet and that you pay some minimal fee for everyone to access that information. Um, whether that's Drophus, whether that, whatever it may be, like yeah. let's not get semantics, but in the end day, it's still a 2D format that has to be handed over. Even with VDAS, like they want an, uh, a digital model handed over at the end of the day. I'm all for that. And I'm, I'm happy to hand over any of the models that we have access to and give it over. But Because the they'll, never, the they'll day, never open them. <laughs> no, they never will. But also the contract, and, you know what I mean, going through the Australian standards for, for digital assets and, and stuff like that, it's still 2D. Like you, You're talking about digital items and digital procurement and all these are, oh, by the way, you still have to supply a PDF of that or a, a 2D drawing. Like, wait, what? You want all this digital asset. You want all this digital information, but contract and, I mean, Australian standards and Australian law still says it has to be delivered with a, a, along with a, a 2D PDF. Well, but why? The, well, I think the irony is, is that's all they really need. I actually, I, actually, I actually argue that there's actual no need for half the models that get delivered. Uh, I presented on the Future Infrastructure Summit the other, the other week and I've just gone... Mm. There's clients that own assets, and these are government agencies, right? Mm. They own these assets, and there's zero to Buckley's chance they're going to be renovating them significantly in the next 15 to 20, 30 years, right? Yep. And they're they're asking for these models to be delivered. So, therefore, there's this additional cost imposed onto a project for all this extra digital information and verification models being delivered. And... What's going to happen when a design consultant comes on board in 15 years' time? The client's not going to turn around and, and say that that model is going to be uh, a contractual document. They're going to say, no, you need to verify it and scan it again, right? Mm. So they're not going to take liability for it. So why spend the money in the first place? Now, the question I raised then, and this is work that I did with a major education client, was – because the standard of as constructed documentation from the contractor's side was subpar, was not up to what was expected, um, specifically for subsurface um, services, which are really, really important for any job because you need to know where these things are so that you don't dig them up. We wrote a detailed document regarding the way in which information had to be delivered for subsurface um, services, but the rest mm-hmm. of it was just standard. The rest of it was just the standard deliverable. I wonder how long it's going to take in this cycle 
for the construction industry to kind of kick back. Because remember, there was a period of time a number of years ago where construction industry was kicking back and they're doing it on major, major assets, <laughs> saying we're not going to deliver this because it's not of any value. Yeah, um, I, I still remember some of the work that was done at the ICC in, in Sydney and uh, Len Lease were very much pushing a digital asset, digital ownability, digital construction, paperless sites, all this buzzwords that were around 10, 15 years ago now. And what was the outcome of that? Mm-hmm. Did they well, deliver that? Probably. Probably not. Was it a full paperless site? No, it was not. Did they try to? Yes. Like all these steps and processes that we even John Holland see is, yeah, I can, yeah, contest that it's it's not quite there. And is it fit for purpose? Probably not. Like, yeah, you, you as you said, like you're giving an asset to someone who doesn't even know what they're going to do with. And they, again, John Holland, Marvel Stadium Project, we had existing we had 3D existing drawings that were done by the architect 15 or 12 years ago when the stadium did some retrofit works some time ago. We looked at the models. We looked at all the elements. It was drawn in Revit. Cool, great. Uh, Grimshaw Architecture were the, the architects on the project. They've got this existing model. And then we were setting out our first bit of construction and demolition and stuff. And then we're measuring things and things went lining up. We're like, what's going on? Oh, there's a little note on the bottom of the page that said, oh, the columns weren't to the center line. They were offset by 35 mil or 50 mil in one set. And they, they had just a note on the bottom of the drawings. No one had gone through and edited any of the drawings. So all our columns were not lining up. There's all these mismanagement, all this misinformation, just because one drafty said, oh, I've got a way to solve this. We'll just add this note down the bottom. And <laughs> you're just like, So really? the model, the model was not the single point of truth anymore. No. Someone had edited, someone had put the columns in incorrectly or had, had assumed that they were center, center of grid effectively, but when they weren't, they were this and they explained it. And it was just, we then found out, all right, well, we can't trust any of the columns anymore. Piling, all this. So stop work. I mean, let's go and rectify this ASAP. We need to go find where it's wrong, scan it, drill it, because you're dealing with those kind of tight Major time pieces of scary. infrastructure. Yep, and tight programs. And again, the pushback. But now... Today we've spent a bit of, well, <laughs> today our whole conversation has been about BIM usage for a Tier 1 level contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. the uh, resource capability that you have within a bigger organisation sometimes can make that easier, but then obviously there's a lot of other challenges that larger organisations typically have with regards to, you know, change management that makes things like this difficult what do you think is going to be needed is it going to be a push or a pull effect to kind of help move our tier two and tier three contractors and subcontractors into this digital realm you know is it going to be things like vdas or here we have our the digital implementation policy uh from the Mm -hmm. queensland government we've got the stuff in new south wales with all the different uh, agencies running their things is it going to be the government driving this forward or will these contractors is, – is it going to be that they're going to be up – are these Tier 2 and 3 is going to go, you know, in challenging times we've now found these processes to make our tenders more competitive. We've found ways to um, do things uh, quicker and safer because of, um, you know, because of using this technology to find these things. Is it going to be the – Government or the or the builders themselves are going to find it. Yeah, that, that's a hard one to answer because I could see it playing out both ways in mm. terms of from a 
from a push and from a pull perspective. I can see the government's pushing on it, but I can also see a pull from the tier twos to get the efficiencies out of it. Like, Which would be smart, right? It would be, but I think it's the problem that I think we currently sit is that we sit between, if you look at the architectural workforce at the moment, there's, there's a big gap, I'd like to say. There's no one... Um, we've got a lot of very old senior architects who know building, who know design, who can draw immaculate drawings and drawings. And then you've got this younger generation coming through who uh, are so quick to iterate, so quick to, to run a grasshopper script to give them 50 different options because that's the way they were taught conceptual design and iteration and to push-pull sliders and all that fun stuff that they miss the the fundamentals of what makes a building nice or look good or stuff like that. So I can see it being pushed and pulled from both ends, but until you have a, a standard framework like VDAS or the Queensland Digital Planning um, guidelines that they they put out or the rules that they've put out as such, sorry, until you get that kind of framework. But I, I don't see it till you do something like PAS 1192 where you, you mandate it from a government perspective and and a digital asset, but I could also see it from I, th- I think about this whole life cycle scenario quite a lot at John Holland because we 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 live in the the construction FM world so much. But uh, I could see the day in age where we all have tablets and it's augmented reality and you can see a building's floor plans and scope and all that information, how you conceptualize all that data and have all that data. Like if you put really good information in, you're going to get really good information out. And then that's driven by both ends of both, you mean, the government agencies mandating it, but also the younger generation wanting it because they can then plug that into their models. And as I was saying to you about the Olympics, there's already digital models of the Brisbane area, those models that's already been captured being, and is getting ready to to have optioneering in digital engineering from it from many perspectives. So Dom, we've talked about where the construction industry is at today and we've we've kind of gone through the challenges that that all the different tiers are facing right now. But let's talk about the future and where technology is heading that could assist not only, I guess, the construction industry, but but also the uh, architects and engineers and even the owners of assets. I'm a big big fan of ChatGP and the stuff it can do because it can it can take like something very simple like meeting minutes. I'm I'm a very good note taker in terms of my meeting minutes and understanding what's going on, who's sitting, what, and doing stuff like that. But if I gave that to you, Nathan, you wouldn't be able to read it. You wouldn't be able to understand what the F is going on because it's all in my handwritten jargon. It's quick, it's fast. But for me to issue those meeting minutes takes days just because one, time poor, two, don't have time to go back and reread it, three, type it up, do all the stuff. But what I've been finding is that if I can take those notes digitally and like just type them up as I'm, as I'm going along, I can then use something like ChatGP to take the meeting minutes, create all the tasks, create all the communications, have any questions, and then formulate that into a thing. So I just grab my dump of crap, push it in. It understands my jargon and it spits out um, a well-written document that's taken me maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes worth of work to do. And it saved me several hours of rewriting meeting minutes that are, no one loves to do because it's just crap. But we need to do it to progress the design, progress the building, progress the progress along. So, yeah, 
stuff like that. Like just like I can see it replacing people. I get that. But if you embrace that technology, mate, you're going to be 10 leaps ahead. Like I've already got my, my chat GP doing some fun, weird, funky stuff for, for my own personal use and use cases. Like I don't push that on anyone. I'm fit to do it, but it can write some pretty interesting stuff. Like I do a lot with databases, a lot with Excel. I struggle to remember all the formulas and syntax and how to write this to get this to get that. Ask ChatGP, or how do I get column A to column B to have revenue? Da, 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 and then it will spit out the, the formula that I need to run. And hey, it's right. Well, great. Well, that, that saved me 20 minutes of looking up YouTube videos on how to do that syntax and not it not to be actually right. You can feed it in and ask it. And yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely the way of the future in terms of how you get that information and even like uh, a lot of the times information stored in people's heads in projects like how do we go to the oh you got to ask joe blogs he's on the site he knows all about concreting and reinforcement and he's your go-to guy go talk to him it's just like well isn't it captured it? no no it's all in his head just it's easier he, he's the guy go talk to him it it, <laughs> it doesn't work so you mean having to be able to capture his knowledge and information online somewhere and then getting chat gp to feed in that information you can then ask Hey, how do I do reinforcement with blah, 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 blah? He already knows you're in Australia, knows your building code, knows your laws, knows the site, the, the information to then give you, hey, here's the answer that you actually need rather than you having to talk to this bloke to get to this bloke to then get to the actual answer to then you know, waste the day on a site that should be a, a two-second fix if you knew that information. So so the future's exciting. Oh, mate, it's, it's leaps and bounds ahead of where we were in terms of loading floppy disks in computers to create a 2D drawing of you know, what we were doing and <laughs> explaining it. Like, you know, I've got 3D printers behind me printing stuff. Like, just that's just for me because I'm into that technology. But I break something over the weekend and, oh, let's reprint that cable, that connector, that, that clip. Why do I need to go buy something when I've got plastic that can melt it and I can draw it up in two minutes, print it overnight? And oh, by the way, here's that clip that I broke last night or here's that belt holder or whatever it may be. It's fixed. It's resolved. I've got, got a personal manufacturing machine right behind me. But how do, you, how do you resolve that? How do you get to that? But that's because I'm interested in technology and like automation. Why, why isn't that more thought of? Why isn't that more useful? Like we talk about, yeah, I mean, tier two and three is like, having access to that automation, they should see what tier ones do and go, all right, let's iterate on that. Like, you know, where's the use case of them doing it? Like we've got some of the uh, robots, uh, what are they? It's oh, you called got, Spot. You've got, um, you got a bit of Spot action going on. I got to meet Spot, spot the going. other day. Yeah. So I've seen him on some of our tunnel projects where he's going through, it's, it's a train track effectively, and he's going through scanning it, taking photos and a 3D camera of what he's doing. And so that we can scan it. We can digitize it. We can understand the process of it without having to send people into dangerous spots like mining, all that kind of stuff. This, this is brilliant. This is exactly where technology should be going. Even some of the other stuff with um, with layouts in terms of where should all this stuff go? Where should we drill our holes and bolts and stuff like that? There's, there's all these robots and manufacturing processes that can mark that on a ceiling, for example, with a with just a dot effectively saying, here's your hanger, here's your, you mean, to, to run this duct and it's all digitized that you can go on through and scan basically the, the roof and then mark all your points and it's just a little robot that sits on a, basically looks like a ladder and just shoots all your dots and it, it's accurate within, you mean, five mil, which is brilliant for the construction world. But That's a lot. That's world. actually really accurate. And it's, it's leaps and bounds. So like there's that technology. It's just, yeah. Where we're going with all this fun technology is just 
yeah, it, again, push and pull from one from the government, but two, these other people who can see a market, like even I think like rudimentally five years ago, like there's all these projects going on that seeing and friends are involved with that I can see that you would do by 2D construction all day, every day, like concrete blocks. Let, let's talk about that for a second. But you've got, you've got like, if you look at it, construction blocks that are, that are so simple and so easy, but are so complex that you like, you're creating elements that if you didn't have it in a digital realm, golly, like you're going to be throwing out so much waste, so much efficiency. Like we're drawing these blocks and these these highly complex elements um, in digital realms to to save everyone cost of money. And it's yes, they're paying the people I know very handsomely to do this, but they get such a reward out. They get a full Rio schedule, for example, full quantity takeoff. They know the exact weight of it, so that if they're doing lifting and craning, it, it's correct it's not oh i you know what does this think of it's not guesswork it's digital information and they're not coming from the tier ones tier ones want it but tier twos and threes and everyone below that are are doing this work because if they carve out their little niches as such as um there's numerous avenues to go down that route and to digital tires and to do a lot of stuff yeah it's quite quite crazy so dom thanks very much for your time today and I have one final question, and it's the Ooh. one that I ask all of my guests. What does BIM mean to you, considering the journey you've had? Yeah, that's a hard one for me because for me, BIM's a process. It's not. Well, that's it's the, not that's the answer. It's any. It's not one thing or one one thing. It's it's a process. It's about how you do something, and what tools you use to do that something. Um, and so, like for me, I don't. Generally, we don't call it BIM because we do infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. We can get into that conversation, but <laughs> you mean, it's, it's digitalizing the, the 2d methodology of what we were doing 20 years ago, you mean pen and paper. Yep. Cool. You mean, then we went to CAD. Now we go to 3d and that whole process is, yep. Let's call it BIM for, for now's sake, but it's a process still. It's still digital revolution. You should, I mean, I, I hate the word BIM. I just think it, it's too close to BIN, B-I-N, that people just don't understand it. Like I talk to friends and family, what What do you, I'm um, BIM manager, what's that? Um, 20 minutes later, it's not like, hey, I'm an engineer. Oh, cool. I know what that is. Like <laughs> people get like the simple, the simple, simple, simplicity, simplicity. That's the word. Oh, I think, um, I think, that's, I think maybe the problem is, is because most people can't explain it properly. And that's why we don't have the implementation as well as we can get it done right with the change management piece. Right. Yeah. But also some people just, it doesn't matter how many times you explain it to them. They just still don't get digital technology. Like, they think pen and paper. Like if I try to explain this to my my grandparents, they're going to be like, uh, "Okay, you, you you work on computers, cool." They they just that that's that's the the takeaway they take from it. They just gloss over digital revolution, all this stuff. Or you know what I mean? So if you had some buzzword that actually properly described it, that my nephew or your kids could understand what you do and say, "Hey, we're we're, we're you know, I mean, this was the process. It was." 2D CAD, you know, it was sorry, it was pen and paper, then CAD, then 3D models, and now it's the next step, digital twins or blah, like whatever the next step may be. It's still a digital revolution of the 2D environment. So for me, I mean, that's BIM's a process. It's 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 a process to form the digital revolution of 2D drawings. Thanks once again for your time today, Dom. <laughs> nah, no problem, bud. <laughs> 
So for more information on Dom and John Holland, please head over to the podcast section of the Skewed website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with the digital transition, powered by Bond University's Building Information Modelling Program. Digital transition.